Greetings, buddies. Welcome to another segment of BuddyCast. I'm here with my new buddy, Steve Petra. Steve is a ventriloquist, and he deals a lot with puppets. He has two websites, stevepetra.com and petrapuppets.com. And today we're going to talk to him, and hopefully he'll bring some of his buddies on the show as well. How are you doing today, sir? Doing good. Awesome. Glad to hear. So let me ask you, how long have you been a ventriloquist? Uh, ventriloquist, uh, probably 22 years, I think. And, but I've been a puppeteer longer than that. And before that I worked as a musician. Nice. Nice. Um, what got you into all those talents? Like what you got you into ventriloquism and puppeteering? Well, um, I was working as a musician and, Mm -hmm. uh, I got, I guess I, I got bitten by a puppet bug. I started seeing some old uh, old reruns of, of The Muppet Show and and the whole creative aspect and, and all that was required for performing, it related a lot to music uh, for me. And I became curious, so I started uh, going to the libraries and taking out all the puppetry books. And then I started, I bought a few puppets for me to try to work with i used to i was in a wedding band i would bring them to the wedding band when they ended up on the videos with the with the with the wedding couple and stuff so uh and then i eventually started uh decided to start my own business in the course of going to the libraries getting all the puppet books i could find i the author of one of the books that i really liked i found that she lived only about 15 miles from me so she became my teacher Nice, nice. And you had a, I take you had a close relationship with her and. uh, Yeah, well, um, she was 75 years old when I met her Mm. and she, she died a few years back at 95, but we became very good friends. I did the Mm -hmm. photography for her last book and, uh, and, and we did, um, we performed together doing excerpts from Shakespeare, which is kind of out of my comfort zone, but, uh, but she was uh, she was a person who really uh, focused my attention on the theater of puppetry so that my understanding became uh, something that I could apply no matter what area of the, of the, of the art form I decided to go with. Nice. And she's she the one that taught you like how to be a ventriloquist. She the one who uh... actually she was not a ventriloquist. Her, her name was Carol Fijan. Um <laughs> The, the book was uh, Making Puppets Come Alive uh, by Carol Fijan, F-I-J-A-N. And uh, she taught me about puppetry. She t- on, on a very basic level, she started out. I have something here. She would start us out with something. She called this a work puppet. And she would make these out of scraps. Mm. And, and so, you, ha- so you, learned, you learned how the body moved. You learned what. Um, what emotions it can, could convey without any facial features, without any language, and the movement became a language, and and that really set me on a road where um where I was very focused on movement. So I worked as a puppeteer for a number of years before I became a ventriloquist, and once I did, um, I felt that I wanted to incorporate all that I learned in puppetry into ventriloquism because they're two separate communities. I know everybody's got a community. There's a clown community. There's a magic community. There's a ventriloquist community, but that's separate from the puppetry community. And, the, and with each of these different groupings of art forms, you find that people have uh, have different creative processes. 
So yeah. mine was sort of like musician, puppeteer, and then and then ventriloquist. So I sort of like blended all of those different creative processes into my own. And uh, and I've done well with it. So Nice. Now you mentioned like how you add in emotion to the puppets and everything. You think you could give us like a quick demonstration with the puppet you just had? With, with, with something like this? Yeah, sure. In yeah. fact, I, since I ended up using this at a lecture that I did for the ventriloquist convention of all things, <laughs> and it was such a hit that I... Um, I now have a hand, this is called a hand puppet or a glove puppet, as mm -hmm. opposed to something where you're operating the mouth, which is a mouth puppet. There are marionettes, there are rod puppets. And I end up, I now have a hand puppet that's the star of my virtual show called Eric the Sheep. And it doesn't have any language. It's really back to what Carol had taught me back in her studio all those years ago and that I'm using. So, so you know, a puppet like this, so you've got you've got you've got two arms and you've got but you've also got a waist. So 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 for picking up props, you know, you don't want to just bend it like this. You mm -hmm. want you want it you want it to have seem like it has weight so that it, it could look at different directions. It could think, you know, if a puppet was thinking, Carol would teach us two ways to do that. You can one way of a puppet showing a puppet was thinking was you can tap the hand or you can do this with the head. Mm. All right. If, and, you know, with puppetry, if, if something's, uh, if the puppet's sad, the, you know, the head would look down. You could, you know, if it was looking for the, if it was searching for something in the sky, you could, you'd lean back. Let me get in the camera. You'd lean back like that and look up and around. What, what things that you would do for sleeping is, you know, you'd always have a playboard. And you, it would create a little prep. It would prepare where it's going to sit. Tap on it. It's, it has. It conveys a tactile uh, sense, and then it would slowly rest itself. So it's. So she taught meaningful movement. That everything you did, you weren't just moving it. You know, without any reason. Everything had to have meaning. So movement with meaning makes you really concentrate on when you're doing something with the puppet what it's doing and why it's doing it and how it's feeling. So you're able to convey um, not just mood or emotion, convey age, um, energy. Uh, there's a, it became a, a language. And I, <laughs> and I brought that into my ventriloquism work. So I work with a puppet. Uh, if I get a new puppet uh, for a very long time before I, um, I work in the mirror with the physicality of it before I start doing voices. Nice. Now, let me ask you, how long do you think it took you to really perfect the skill? Like, how long did you work on? Yeah, both ventriloquism and puppetry. Well, puppetry, um, it's just ongoing. You're always <laughs> learning. Um, that's the thing about uh, an art form like this and like music. Um, there's, there's always stuff that you haven't done. And there's always there's always discovery. When you, when you lose <laughs> that sense of discovery... Um, a lot of the magic can leak out of, of, of your art form. So for me, it's always, there's always something more to learn. There's something more to understand. There's so, there's, there are techniques that you've never tried or, or never perfected. So that's an ongoing thing. To learn ventriloquism, well, that's more of a finite process because you, you need to perfect being able to say certain letters. Um, and to do that, you create sound substitutions. You know, if you go through the alphabet, there are about 
a half dozen or so letters you can't say without moving your lips. M's, B's, F's, V's, P's, uh, uh, Y's, W. And, and those letters have to be, you have to have a substitute for the sound they make. So instead of using your upper and lower lip to create those sounds, you're using the back of your front teeth, this inner ridge here, mm -hmm. where your teeth meet your gums, becomes your top lip and your tongue becomes your bottom lip. Yeah, I don't know if you've spoken to many ventriloquists, but this is really, that's how it's done. That's how everybody does it. So, so it's like when people learn a new language, there are certain words, if you notice people who have an accent um, from another country that are speaking English, that's not their first language, there are certain letters that they have difficulty saying, depending on, on where they're from. It's because they've only used their muscles in their tongue and their mouth um, to, to create the words that they use in their language. And, the, and those sounds may not exist in English. So you have to, it's like learning a language where you're learning to do new things with your mouth, with the muscles in your tongue. And, and, and then it's a, almost separate from the lip control thing. Because the lip control is just, you know, that is exactly what it sounds like. You're keeping your lips from moving. But creating the sounds really happens um, as, as if you're learning an, a new way of speaking. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, that's, the whole, that's the whole mystery. That's how it's done. Nobody, um, anybody can do it, but, but everybody's mouth is different. So certain techniques can be more difficult or certain sound substitutions. Sometimes there's more than one uh, choice of a sound substitution for a letter. And uh, and certain people's mouth structure, uh, they have more success with one type of, of method than than another. Yeah, absolutely. So can we have like a little demonstration, maybe without a puppet of like yeah. what you would what you would say, like just say like a common phrase or something like. OK, how about, I'll go. How about to do the alphabet? OK. OK. And uh, here, I'll, I'll get nice and close so you can see. Yeah. <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, N, N, O, T, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Wow. Okay. So the first, so we went A, second letter, can't say without moving your lips, can you? Mm -hmm. So you're going to, so you're going to use your, the, the, that, it's called an alveolar ridge. It's where your, where your gum, your top of your of your mouth of the, meets your your palate meets your mm -hmm. teeth, and then the tongue, and a B is what's called a plosive. B and P's are plosives because to do that you're creating a you're building up air behind your two lips, B, and there's an explosion of air. B P. That's why they have pop filters on microphones and studios because with mm -hmm. B's and P's you're popping your P's because there's air. So you have to find so you have to um, know how to create that buildup of air and a release of it without using your lips. And it's done by pressing your tongue up against your teeth. And it's it's a modified D. If you just say D like basket doll, it would sound like basket doll. But mm -hmm. if you take the D and you press your tongue into your that that ridge d starts at d d d d d d d d basketball hey do it oh i said it basketball you can do it mm -hmm. 
So that's it's a now knowing how to do it and being able to do it and being able to speak even extemporaneously without having to think about the sound substitutions takes a long time. Um, that's why there are, are a lot of magicians and there aren't a lot of ventriloquists. Because <laughs> I can teach you, uh, do you do any magic? A uh, little bit here and there, but I'm well, not. I, do you know what a French drop is? It's a, mm. it's a coin trick where, you, where you're. Oh, yeah, I've you heard know, of that. You, all right, you're, you're, you're showing a coin and then you're transferring it to the other hand. Your hand shows empty and the coin's really in this hand. And it's called a French drop. I can teach a kid to do a French drop in three minutes. And then after they practice for maybe five minutes, they should be able to do it and actually fool someone. It takes months to get good, um, to, to, to get those sound substitutions mm -hmm. um, sounding the way they should be. And months of hard work. It, it, it has taken me, because I started as an adult, um, it's easier for people who start as kids. Um, and so it, it, it took me, it's, it's been like, it was years on stage till I, I got the bugs out of my own performance technically. Mm -hmm. Now, do you find it easier if you're, let's say you take a student under your wing, do you find it easier, you just mentioned it, to train a kid or to teach an adult? Um, well, because I learned as an adult, I, I analyzed my method and I feel I'm, I'm adept at teaching adults um, how mm -hmm. to do this. Um, kids pick it up quickly, um, but kids also, um, their attention to detail isn't always perfect because they, they feel that they can do it already if they clench their teeth. And you can't because if you clench your teeth and talk, it sounds like you're talking through clenched teeth. <laughs> so there's gotta be a way of relaxing your jaw. So, so, so you have to, it's a different, it's a different road for them. Because mm -hmm. you've got to got to get them off of that, you know, what they think they they're doing, and show them what really needs to happen. Um, yeah. But it's it's I, mean, I, I think it's it, it's I found as an adult I had challenges that kids don't have, but I also found ways to overcome them, and that came because I was on stage so often, a lot mm -hmm. of performing. There's no substitute for perform for being on stage and doing a performance, because it's one thing to practice, but once you're on stage. Um, all these other stresses come from uh, five, six, ten different directions that all affect, you know, your, your lip control, your your sound substitutions, how deeply you breathe. So you need to adapt to the stresses on stage to really get good at it. Absolutely. Now let's go on to a subject of you creating a puppet. Um, can you explain like the thought process that goes into it? Like all the, all the detail that um, you have to really construct in order to make the perfect puppet. Sure. Well, um, I, I don't think of it as a perfect puppet, but there's a, <laughs> there's an element of perfectionism that goes into the process to get it. So it's a good performance tool because there are people that have, you know, that have created puppets that are works of art, but they don't move right. You know, it's like a violin that looks really good and, and, and doesn't stay it's not in tune you can't tune it you know there's a warp so you really need it to be a performance tool more like a musical instrument than than just a work of art um so there are, there are two things i do one as i use puppets that other people build but i also build you know a bunch of my own stuff and uh, well this is one this is one that i built this is a crummy j mummy 
and he doesn't even have a body. Because one of the things I like to do as a ventriloquist is have mobility. I like to be able to move to different parts of the stage. No, this side. Now that side. That's okay. And because it's a, it's more of a theater experience for the audience if I can do that instead of being like shackled to a puppet that's on a stand center stage. I like to be able to use the whole stage. So to create something like this, the first thing I have to do is have to have an idea what it's going to look like. So I'll usually do a sketch. Um, and But I don't make a pattern because I'm not really good at that. I'm not an expert puppet maker. I only make puppets for myself. And and I wanted him to be able to move. So, I, so his control mechanism is underneath this uh, little waterfall of gauze. And he's mm -hmm. got a little, can you see that? Yeah, the little button. That's it. That's, that's it. He doesn't have moving eyes or eyebrows. He just, his mouth just opens and closes. So right. the mechanics, um, I start with the mouth plate. There's a, see the, the mouth plate? Mm -hmm. There's an upper and lower. That's the first thing I build that goes onto the head stick. I do that first. And, and then I know what the body shape is going to look like. Then I'll, then I'll build, the body's made out of foam. It's like a, upholstery foam. If you rip open your couch, which I'm not recommending you do, um, <laughs> inside is going to be this kind of foam. Now, th that kind of foam has two qualities. And it's 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 rigid in the sense that it holds a shape. It's not actually rigid, like, you know, like a piece of plywood or hard plastic. But it also has a flexibility to it. So it can be shaped. You can make darts like you're doing if you sew a piece and you can you can create an arch. You can create a, a head. That looks, you know, like like anything that you imagine. And now the mouth gets gets attached. The body parts get attached. The phone gets attached to the mouth plate. And there you go, oh, crummy Jay Nunny. There he goes. <laughs> I'm in. I'm alive. That's right. I'm alive. I'm in. I'm in charge. You're not in charge. I want to <laughs> be in charge. Can't be in charge. You don't even have a body. <sighs> so that's one way of <laughs> of creating something. If I know. I had to do, I have a show on my website uh, called It's Alive. It's all the organs of the body, which I built. I built a brain that's mounted on a spinal column, which again has mobility like this because I hold it by the bottom of the spine. And that's where the control is. It's the same kind of mechanism. So he's got vertebrae going all the way up to where the brain is with the mouth. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I drew that first. And then I, and then I said, well, what, do, what do I need to build it? How can I make, uh, how can I control it from the bottom, make the mouth move? I've got a digestive system where, where the uh, um, intestines can be pulled across the stage and the, the, uh, the stomach has its own mouth. And then there's a mouth at the top of the esophagus as well. So, so my, my artistry as a puppet, as a puppeteer comes in play because you're building your own world. Mm -hmm. Whereas ventriloquists are, they're working with a single character. They're writing a back. It's more of a linear process for ventriloquists. Puppeteers are more like world builders, and then mm -hmm. they populate the world they make. Right. So, but yeah. I've got you know, but I work in both fields. So, you mm -hmm. know, why should there be a division? Exactly. Exactly. Now, what about the thought process for like their personalities and everything, or like their character? I should say. There, there's an art to that because, um, because what an audience really um, invests in emotionally is character. <laughs> it's not just a puppet. It's not just a joke. So um, a way, the way that ventriloquists um, 
relate the character of, of a puppet is through relationship. So the puppet isn't just another entity sitting next to you telling jokes. It's relating to you and hopefully to the audience. And so you're working out dialogues that actually are conversational and, 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 and things that are situational. So, so, that, so you are able to build up two different points of view because you're playing two people, two, two characters, yourself and the puppet. Um, you're relating to, to an audience, you're re relating to each other, and you're, you're, uh, you're structuring conflict between you and the puppet. <laughs> awesome. awesome. That's, that's, where the, that's where the comedy comes from. It comes from I, conflict. Absolutely. It's all the bantering back and forth, the whole... Yeah, and, and the more natural it seems, the more the audience accepts the character. <laughs> you know, and, and character, you know, you have character. You don't just think about it. You have to. I hate being vague about stuff that's artistic, but they're, they're, you have to you have to have a feel for for the character because that's because the audience is going to feel it. They're not going to analyze it. <laughs> but you have to you have to you have to use your your a process. You have to create a process for yourself that is analytical, but but knows what the moving parts are for a character. And you can even go, you can go like, like an actor has a, and, and, and a, someone who, who writes a novel uh, would, would use a, an author would, would use, would look at um, uh, certain like uh, kinds of characters that fit a certain, certain mold. So, so you like an archetype, you have archetypes in literature and theater. And, uh, and that's one way of, of coming up with different kinds of characters. And then as you as you play with it, you can you have to get more specific. You know, what is it like? What is it not like? How fast does it talk? Or what kind of language does it use? What's the body language? How does the body language affect what what it's saying? What does it look like and sound like when it's thinking, when it's hesitating, when it's saying something that knows it's not true? So it's it's as complex as acting because because those layers is what makes it um a real experience for the audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, do you find it easy to create said banter? Like, is it something you can usually come up with on the spot or is it something that you definitely like script and practice throughout the day before like a big show or something? Uh, th that is the, for me, that to, for most people, that is the most difficult part <laughs> because you can, um, you can buy a puppet and people buy them, you know, quite often. And or you can build a puppet, but then creating a character and creating material for the character is the ch is the challenge that becomes a real uh, a real obstacle for a lot of people. So and so I'm working a lot. I I use a lot of characters because I have a variety of shows like I have maybe 10 different library shows, different themes. I have three school shows and a library show will be like four characters in each show. Now, there's sometimes I can take a character, lift its, its personality and put it into another puppet in a different show and even use its material. But but you still have to have quite a, a range of material. So creating material is is the challenge. Um, there are different ways of doing it. I'll, I'll give you one example. Being I, I do. I I work for kids and families and mm -hmm. in, in, in schools, I've got students up to sixth grade. So, so you don't want it, you don't want stuff that's too simple and silly all the time. 
but it has to, but you want it to be funny. In schools, it also has to have a point to it that's curriculum based. So creating material, like if I'm doing an animal puppet, like I've got uh, like I've got a duck over here. So so um, one thing I can do is I can research ducks, and then what 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 a what about ducks is funny besides puns? You know that you know I have my own web feet site or uh, I'll put it on my bill. Besides puns, what what about ducks? Can you work into the personality that you can make a joke out of? And uh, and then, well, I'll give you an example. I, I have a I have a turkey who has a ladybug outfit on because I, I he's in a bug show. All right, so now you've got all these layers. He's a turkey who is an actor playing a ladybug because I can't get a ladybug to be in the show. So he's got a, a dog Halloween costume on of a ladybug over his body. And I did research on ladybugs. And I found there's four stages of life to a ladybug. There's an egg. There's a pupa. Uh, uh, and well, it ends up with the lead and the adult stage. So each of those four stages there's, I found something funny that the that the turkey all the uh, ladybugs started out as eggs, so did turkeys. So now the turkeys commenting on ladybugs being the same as turkeys. So there's a way to draw humor out of that that works for for kids, yet still is literate enough for adults to enjoy enjoy it and it be clever. <laughs> so you can go, you know, you can you can go anywhere you want with how you create it. The bottom line. Is is you gotta you have to find out how to be funny. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of funny, when you do a show, do you have any like funny stories from a show that you've done? Like, do you have any like funny memories that you have? Like, there was one time at the show, or um, just like anything that you can recall that you just left the show laughing that day. Well, uh, funny things happen throughout the show. When there's <laughs> something that makes me laugh, that's an unusual occurrence. Mm -hmm. uh, so like an audience member doing something funny, I, I was doing I was doing a show for uh, for for uh, a library. So I have mm -hmm. a range of kids from, you know, very young, like three to like fifth grade. And they're packed in this room. We've got a full audience. And I do a, a magic bit that's uh, that's using a technique called magician's choice. And uh, it's a way of manipulating a, a range of of numbered objects to get to the one that you predicted would be the outcome uh, without giving away what it is. So so we have one kid that they made the prediction. They I've got kids holding up six musical instruments. Each one has a number in case one of the kids is too young to uh, say the name of the instrument. They can just tell me the number and then we eliminate that. They we eliminate them like one or two at a time by calling someone in the audience tell them to name two, and then we eliminate those. So I have a choice in how I'm going to do that in order to manipulate the final choice to what I want. So I, there was one kid, little kid. He was like he was a, like a toddler. But he, every time I asked for volunteer, he would jump up in the air, raise his hands, go, me, 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 just like that, me. And keep in mind when i'm asking for volunteers i always say i need someone who's sitting down in their seat nice and quiet and he's screaming me i'm nice and quiet so <laughs> so so 
this is through the whole show. Now, when I picked someone, he sat down and be, was quiet. So it wasn't disruptive. I didn't have to, you know, I, you know, I didn't have to ask the parents, can you take this kid out of the room? <laughs> he, once, once he wasn't picked, he dealt with it. But every time he saw me come to the part of the stage where I would ask the volunteers, he'd be like ready. He'd be, you know, like a, like, 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 he, like a bow is like strung. Mm-hmm. The last, the last bit in the show, after an hour of a show, I've got, I've got two more choices left. Someone has to pick between one and the other. And then the resulting choice should, has to match up with my prediction, which they haven't seen yet. But one of the kids is holding it. I say, you know, I just give up. I say, all right. I go down on off the stage and I let this kid, I says, you. And the kid comes running over. He's been waiting for an hour. And, and he, he's, I have to get on my knees because he's tiny kid, but the whole, the audience could see me. And he can't name the musical instruments. I said, well, there are numbers. There's, there's a two or a five. Do you want two or five? And he goes, four. I said, no, no. I said, let's do it like this, David. David, I, I'll, I'll, I'll see how many. This is two. And this hand will be five. Which one do you want? He goes, four. No. Two <laughs> or five. Just grab the hand that has the number that you want. Just grab whichever hand. Now, the whole time I've got older kids sitting right up front that have watched me make a certain kind of choice each time without doing anything suspicious. If he picks the wrong thing and I pick the opposite, these kids are going to be all over me mm-hmm. because they've, they've been watching. He goes, oh, you always, they'll know what I did. So I am like sweating. But this kid is just so funny because everything. He, so, so finally... I needed him to pick five. And I saw, so pick one, pick, pick the hand with two. He grabs the hand with two. And I'm going, oh no, these kids are going to figure me out. And he goes, five. (laughs) And I, if there's anything that ever made me laugh out loud, I mean, I almost fell on the floor and so did the rest of the, the adults in the audience. So he just he just opened. I can do what I want now. Yeah. He said one and picked the other. He set me up for success. Uh huh. Uh huh. Now, same question, but like any uh, feel good stories, like anything that like you made someone's day so much that like it changed the course of their day, or Uh, you know that happens a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know what? You have to. You have to. You you come to understand that what you're doing when you're creating, I, you know, I work sometimes for a year to create a new show. I do a new library show every year. And when you've got it up and running and it's, and it's all, and it's firing on all, on all cylinders and it's really an exciting and funny and memorable experience for the audience. What you've done is you've made something and it's a gift and you're giving it to them. Mm -hmm. You're saying here, this is, it's not mine anymore. I made this for you. And and so often the reaction is as as if you actually said those words, because people become, uh, you know, if you do it right, if you if you don't just respect your audience, but you love them, that you make this thing really good and do all the work that's necessary to make it extraordinary and exceptional and memorable and make it exceed their expectations. Um. 
they resonate with this kind of joy and appreciation that sometimes they can't contain. You know, and there are other, there are other, even to be more specific, I, I do, um, I've done a number of shows over the years for, for kids who have got um, a range of, of, of disabilities, um, some emotional, some physical. There's, there's one school in particular where the first time I was there, they only have chairs on half the audience. The rest is a blank floor. When they bring the audiences, half those kids are being wheeled in on apparatus that they need to function. So, so their, their response to my show is not going to be usual audience response because some of them um, can only make certain kinds of sounds. Some of them can only move a certain part of their body. And, you know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a range, uh, but they're, they're a lot, they're half of the audience are kids that, that aren't even, aren't even uh, able to, aren't mobile. You know, they have, a, they have a, an aid with them. And I started doing shows for them 15, 20 years ago. And they kept asking me back. And each time, and over the, over the years, those kids taught me what kind of show to do for them. Because I thought, you know, I got I, I, I to be gentle with them. I can't make it too outrageous. And, and, I, and I was like, I was taking the sharp edges off the show. That is really the conflict that makes it even, that makes it funny. And they didn't want to be taught. They didn't want to be treated more gentle than another audience. They wanted me to whip them like I do a regular audience. They wanted the roller coaster ride. And, and I, it took me a while to understand what they were telling me. And because they weren't saying it in words, but I would, I would sense what, I wonder, wonder if I can do more with this. Can I, I wonder if I, you know, does it need to be so polite, you know? And now when I go there, I mean, I, we have such a great time. It is raucous, it is unpredictable, and they love it. And the, the, the aides and the people who work there, they appreciate the imagination that goes into it. But, you know, I, I walk out of there feeling like, you know, I've, I've done a job that had very spe specific parameters and I didn't even know what they were when I started doing this. And I had to learn from my audience what was going to be best for them, what would be an exceptional day for them. And I learned how to do that. And that's at my core now is that understanding my audience is, is the most important thing in how I direct my art for mm -hmm. them. I mean, it sounds like a sappy thing, but I'm not a sappy guy. Um, and my, and my performances aren't sappy. They're very aggressive. I, you know, I'm in New York. I mean, it's tough here. It's, it's aggressive. It's, it's raucous. And, uh, and, and I loved what I've learned from my audience because it enables me to, to do, to be, better at expressing my art form in a way that we both, that we enjoy together at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's learning from your audience. They're teaching you, like you said, it's an, yeah. it's an art form that you've never stopped learning and that's how you do so. Right. Because, and because it's not like making a movie or making a video or doing a TV show because mm -hmm. they're not a passive audience watching a screen or, a, or a play. When I was a puppeteer working in a puppet stage, it was essentially a passive audience. But now it's not. Now I can respond to them. I can move. I can I can even though performance would be the same as I did it the day before for a different audience. 
there are things about this audience that they like a certain kind of, I can push things a little more or a little less here and there. And, and I can follow their, their responses as well. It's an, it's a, it's a nuance, but it makes such a difference. Absolutely. Now you mentioned virtual shows and like how you, you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit, how you like to see the audience's reaction. You like to see like, you know, have you, and now what has happened to us? (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly where I was going for. Like how has COVID gotten a deep impact on you? Like, I know we talked a little bit before the show and you said COVID has wiped out everything for you. Yeah. yeah, Well, my, essentially my bookings were canceled. What I, what I, what I have been able to do Mm -hmm. is uh, create a show that, appears to be going on in one continuous stream. But I recorded it, and I happen to be a video editor, and I created and produced my own little show that looks like it's coming to you in real time. Yet I've got, um, I've got Eric the Sheep producing the show, so, it, so I, have a, I have a place so I can cut scene from. This way I can go back, come out with another character while Eric the Sheep is doing what he's doing. And... And but the the challenge was to make this funny without the audience, because having the audience there, there's no substitute for that. But, you know, I I grew up, you know, in the 50s and 60s where every television was was new. You had people from vaudeville were doing stuff on early television. And now and some of them were doing stuff that they would. They would just do their their performance in front of the camera. And I realize you can't do that. If if I'm going to do something, it has the medium has to be part of the performance. So I have to rewrite the, the routines I'm going to do and have a concept of a show that takes into account this thing here. This camera thing mm-hmm. has to be part of the show, which is exa- which was, you know, I, I thought about it for a while and then I started putting it together piece by piece. Um, so my library clients can can purchase that show and they can put it on their Facebook. They can put it on their on their they can you know have a, a day that they want to launch it. Um, they can advertise it to their clients. They can put it on their website, on their Facebook, wherever they want to do it. Um, they can put it on their YouTube channel that, you know, they get they get the file with the show on it. And when it starts running, um, I'm relate. The camera is is a character in the show i'm relating to the camera and uh eric the sheep can can also uh comment uh, on the bottom of my screen so i've got i've got conflict going with the producer of the show it's like a real life situation if you had these crazy puppets actually running your show from from my basement which is like where i am now oh nice nice and uh so so it, well, i call it the wacky friends show and you know, so it's it's something I was able to offer my clients until we can get back together again. Absolutely, it sounds like you definitely have a, you have definitely adapted well to this. You know, you haven't let this thing beat you down or just said, "Well, this is a perfect time for a break" or something like that. You know, well, it, it was it was a perfect time to have a nervous breakdown, more likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it took some time for me to even be open to the thought mm-hmm. because it was you know to. I remember the last show I did in the, in the middle of March, 
And it was one of my best shows all year. I, I had uh, two two audiences of 500 kids in each audience. I, you know, I'm, I'm all over the room picking volunteers. The music is running. We're pulling the intestines across the stage. One of my, one, you know, one of my best performances this year. And as I'm leaving, leaving the school, they're announcing over the PA system that the school and the entire district is closing. And that was the last show I did. And I'm glad I, I, I wound up on a high because I, I, I needed to have that level of confidence because now I was going to have to do something I, didn't, I never did before. Absolutely. And whereas it wasn't going to replace what I did, it, what it, the important thing about it is that it kept my connection with my library clients who had me booked all summer long so they can have me. I mean, when I, when I book libraries, they book me year after year after year. The people get to know me, the kid, they bring their kids to see me. And then those kids bring their friends to see me. And there's, and, and so it, it's this really relationship with me and the audience. We, we, we really uh, can't wait to see each other. And I just make sure I have something good for them when I show up. And now isn't a way to keep that, that, that relationship alive with the librarians and, and with the audience. Um, it doesn't replace the income, but you know the government has been helpful in helping us people who are self-employed, uh, which was a, a new thing I never experienced before. So um, I, I, you know, I, when, when we come to the other end of this, um, I'll be better off than I was if we had not gotten that kind of help. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of, of, you know, of what our government has done, regardless of how much they bicker in order to get to an outcome. Um, it, it has been helpful for, for people like me who I can't go back to work. <laughs> you know, I can, I can do the, I can do a couple of those shows and, but I, you know, there's no, I can't go in front of an audience of 500 kids and just go for it any, right now. Most definitely. I'm going to ask two more questions for you. The first one, I asked this to all, I consider everyone on a guest here a buddy, hence buddy cast. I've asked all my buddies this. If there's someone out there who's thinking about doing the work you do, like ventriloquism, puppetry, you know, performing even. Yeah. I know those are three, like, three different topics or that, but what's your advice to them? What's your ultimate advice? Well, I've been through a number of different art forms and I, and I don't go through them, go in one and come out the other end of it. Like mm -hmm. I'm still a musician. I'm yeah. still a puppeteer mm -hmm. and I'm a ventriloquist. Mm -hmm. Plus I've had all these other life experiences. You know, I, I've had friends, I've had family. So everything that makes you, you is part of what can be original and unique about, about a, uh, your performance. If you decide to be a performer. Um, being a performer is not just being uh, a class clown. It's not just being someone who everybody says is funny, because it's a lot different being funny at a table with friends and then than being on stage and being funny. Because then you have to be funny all the time to everybody. And, and you have to continue being funny. So you have to be able to look at yourself with, with a critical eye if you're serious about being a performer but if it's the right thing for you there's no way you can't there's no way you can't take it you know you know you look at people just in the last 10 years who have become amazingly famous ventriloquist performers darcy lynn terry faders you know and 
they, they've become enormously successful. And but they brought something unique to themselves to that performance. So it's not a mechanical uh, function, just, all right, I need to do this, this, be able to do this, this and that. Um, if you're a juggler, you learn the mechanics of juggling. But how do you have to turn juggling into an act? And because that's that's why people will pay you to see your your your, your act. Your act is not just um, the craftsmanship of, of what you do. People don't pay to see me talk without moving my lips. They pay to see a show. Mm-hmm. So ventriloquism, puppetry, music, <clears throat> they're all tools and moving parts in what I create, bringing what I create in my head to an audience. Mm-hmm. And then bringing, this is an important thing, bringing the audience into your head. Get them mm-hmm. out of their world, get them into your world. That's what, when when Walt Disney created Disneyland in California in the end, late 50s, early 60s, he created what was in his head and people came into Disney's head. And that's what made it successful. They were leaving where they were, their thoughts, what there was, their stresses, and they were experiencing something from inside the imagination of someone who had, had a, a genius for for that kind of thing. And and that's just that's what you do. You learn from the best, no matter how small uh, a venue or an audience you're performing for, it's still the same process. You're still bringing them out of their world into your world because art is creating a world that that begins in your own vision. Most definitely. That was a beautiful answer. And my final question for you is, for all our buddies out there, would you be willing to do a little show for us? Like do a little like five minute, you know, just a quick little like okay, little band uh, or something like with the character. Okay, uh, let's do. Let's use uh, let's use this guy. <laughs> Hi there, <clears throat> I'm Ultra Duck. It's Ultra Duck. Ultra Duck. Can you can you see me? Oh, that's mm-hmm. good. Right. I'm Ultra Duck. Okay. Now, uh, what, what are you going to be doing? I, I'm going to sing. Oh, I, I didn't know you could sing. Do you know how to sing? Oh, I'm a good singer. Or let me let me hear you sing. <clears throat> you ready? Go ahead. Uh, no, 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 no. That is not singing. Oh, that's singing. Uh, no, Ultra Duck. That is gargling. It's what? Gargling. Juggling? Not juggling. That is gargling. That's not how you sing. When you sing, you sing a note. Can you sing a note? Guacamole. No guacamole. Guacamole is not a note. I like guacamole. Look, I don't want to hear about guacamole. This is how you sing. I'm going to show you how to sing. I do what you do. You do what I do. Monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. Yes. Here, sing a note. You start like this. Just one note. Listen. You go. Do. Can you do that? Do. Do. Hey. <laughs> That's not what I did. Listen. You're not listening. Go. Do, 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 no, do, do, just one do, one do, one do, go, do, do, stop. Now, we're going to add another note, two more notes, two more notes, that's right, go, do, re, me, try it, do, re, you, no, no, it's do, re, me, that's what I said, do, re, you, no, it's not, it's not you, it's like me, it's not a person, it's a sound, 
It's not a person. No. Is it a kitty cat? No, it's not a kitty cat. It's a sound. It's me. Do re mi ow. It's a kitty cat. It's not just do re mi. Do re mi. Stop. Okay. Uh -huh. Now, gonna add two more notes. Okay. Two more notes. Okay. Do re mi fa so. Try it. Do re mi fa so. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Now we're gonna go all the way. We're going home. No, we're not going home. All the way to the end of the scale. Oh, okay. Listen. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Try that. That's a lot of notes. You have to take a deep breath. <laughs> okay, now sing, sing. Do, re, mi, fa, guacamole. Let's have a round of applause for Ultra Duck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Show's over. Okay. Get over here. <laughs> that was there incredible. You. All right. Thank you so much for being a buddy on BuddyCast. You know, I enjoyed it. Thank you to Ultra Duck for that performance. And you're welcome. He said you're welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. And I hope once everything clears up, you get back to performing because I can definitely tell it's a passion of yours. It's definitely something that brings a new life to you, basically. So thank you once again for being a buddy on BuddyCast. Stick around for a minute afterwards. But to all my buddies out there, thank you for joining us. And remember what I always say, go be someone's buddy. We'll see you around. This was Steve Petra. Thank you again for everything, sir. So long, buddies. <laughs>